In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Men, we are living in troubling times. The world feels like a pressure cooker that's getting ready to explode. And I personally believe that most of the blame can be laid at the feet of weak and passive men. But I also believe that the solution to most of the world's problems is strong, assertive men. The world needs men because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Join us today as we explore the kind of man the world needs. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men of the Arena Army, last month we received this cool message from Candy who wrote, I sent my stubborn husband your videos so fast. I sent him your whole page. Yesterday we were divorcing and today we talked. Thank you. What a great story. This month, help us reach more marriages like Candy's by signing up for a recurring donation. Even $10 a month helps us reach families and men like you and those you love. Well, hey guys, thanks again, Men in the Arena Army, for making this podcast Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. I'm excited about today's interview. I think you're going to love this guy. If he's half as entertaining as his amazing book, you are going to really have the time of your life, guys. This is Brant Hansen. He lives in South Florida with his beautiful wife, Carolyn, of 30 three years. Brant is a best-selling author, nationally syndicated radio show host, and he also is the host of the, po- the podcast, The Brant and Sherry Oddcast. That should give you a little clue today, guys. With more than 15 <laughs> million downloads, he's a passionate advocate for the work of Cure International Children's Hospitals. They're dedicated to healing the sick and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Among Brant's books are Unoffendable and the men we need, which is our topic for today. I'm excited to bring our new friend on, Brant Hansen. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm honored to be on. Thank you. Yeah, we're. I'm excited. Like I said, your book was so entertaining, and I read a lot of books. And uh, this was definitely not a skimmer for me. And you said some things in the book I resonated with. And I just think that we live in a time where we desperately need the males to become men, and we need the men to step up. And so why did you write the book, Brant? 
Well, okay, so I love what you just said about we need guys to be men and we need them to step up. A lot of times, I don't know if guys know what that means, though. Yeah. So I think that I think that's what kind of triggered it. It might like so I need to man up. All right, so what does that mean? I buy a truck? Does that mean you know I get a gun rack? Does that mean you know I I what does that mean? And so. My producer is a is a brilliant woman. She's a single woman, and she was raised by football players and factory workers and whatnot in Pittsburgh, where she's from. And so she and hunters, like they're all manly guys. Yeah. So she was like blown away. She came to work with me, and she's like, "You play the flute and like, the accordion. You, the accordion. <laughs> you, have pu- you have puppets to use on the radio. Like none of this makes any sense. Like, this is she, this such a strange creature, but." She she actually encouraged me to write the book. She actually wrote the foreword for it. And what she would say, and I, I think this is really kind, she said she could see how my wife and daughter in particular felt extremely secure around me. Yeah. And it was it was really striking to be in our home, the peace. And she's like, so the, that's the masculinity thing. And so she encouraged me to write a book about that to say, cause a lot of guys are not into hunting or they're not into guy stuff. They're yeah. not good. Like I tried to play football, man. That literally, I said this in the book is true. Yeah. I went out my senior year. I was tiny, but I grew up to five ten all of a sudden when I was a senior and I went out for football and they didn't have a helmet big enough to fit my head. <laughs> you know, so, I looked at your picture and I'm like, his head does not look that big, but you must have no, grown well, into your head. <laughs> it was a very small town and I have grown into my head. Thank you very much. But, <laughs> It's like, it's so, but it's, it's really funny. Like, so I'm not good at that stuff, but there's a lot of guys like they're, they're lawyers or they're actuaries or they're accountants or they're gamers. They're like, they're not outdoorsy. Well, so where does that leave them when it's to man up? What, what does it mean? Like, what yeah. are we saying? So that's what the book is about. I try to offer actually a definition of masculinity that any guy could go, okay, that's me. I don't have, it's not about me climbing a mountain barehanded or, or hunting elk. Yeah. You know, um, it's the, all those things are awesome. Don't get me wrong, but it's like, if, if that's the essence of masculinity, I think we're missing out on really what, what the world needs from us. So yeah, yeah, that's the idea. But you were on the state librarian team. What was that? What was that you said in the book? Oh no, 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 you're, you're wrong, sir. I, I have to correct (laughs) you. I was the president of the Illinois Student Librarians Association. Oh, that's right. That's entire, yeah. That's the entire state. I was the president of the librarians. So that kind of, yeah. Hail to I the chief. Brag about it. Hail to the chief, yeah. baby. Well, you know, it's yeah, really funny. Thanks. Your book was really refreshing because clearly with my background, I played college football. I do love to hunt. And so people will oftentimes say to me, well, is that masculine? I drive a truck and people will say to me, is that masculinity? And I say this, a man is as a man does some of the most pathetic Hmm. males on the planet are guys that enjoy the same things I enjoy. And some of the most manly men that I've ever met, my board chairman is one of the most manly men I ever met. Uh, he's, uh, he's totally different than me and he's more like you. Uh, and he's just a phenomenal human being and a man is a man does. And so when I read your book, it's really a beautiful compliment to my book, strong men, dangerous times, because we're saying the same things, but you and I, you know, we would probably enjoy the same cup of coffee in a coffee shop, but we probably would probably stop there. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I think, 
I think you would take time out to stuff me in a locker somewhere. No, oh no, no. Just based on my high school experience, but I know I'm just kidding. Well, you know, I got I got to tell you a story about that. I had a guy, Tim. I'll just leave his name, (laughs) his last name off. I had a guy named Tim sent me an email about a Facebook message about five years ago. So I'm a 50 year old man at the time. He said, "Hey Jim, I don't know if you remember me, but." I just wanted to thank you because when we were in seventh grade, the eighth graders were putting me into a locker and duct taping my butt cheeks and you jumped in and stopped them. And that was me. I hated bullies because I had a smaller brother and sister. So I was the anti that anti stereotype. But uh, I hate that stereotype because it is true in a lot of cases, sadly. Yeah. Well, I just had to make that joke. And I I appreciate (laughs) that, too, because honestly, so. This is the thing. I get people's attention pretty fast when I talk about this in person, especially the younger guys. But I'll I'll talk to women and guys at the same time and do a little experiment. I noted this in the book. I will show them a bunch of pictures that I've gotten off Google that are just random news story pictures of real guys doing stuff. And it's guys like pulling a – there's one literally pulling like a goat out of the flood – Strangely, like there's another one where there's like a soldier. It looks like he's maybe Indian in India pulling somebody out of a a village mm-hmm. that's on fire. Or there's there's people getting people out of a getting a baby out of a overturned car in a, in a ravine. And I just fire through all these real photos of real guys. None of them are models. None of them. There's nothing remarkable. Like typical guys. Some of them a little overweight. Some of them, you know, all different nationalities, all that stuff, different ages. I fired through these and I'm like, hey, I have a question for the ladies. Are those guys attractive? And there's a visceral, immediate reaction of, yes. Yep. And I, and I go back through the photos slowly. I'm like, guys, I went, let's go back through this. I can't see, like, look, none of them are models. I can't see their six packs. They're not jacked. They're losing their hair. They're whatever, whatever, whatever. And did you, why did you, why did you sense this reaction from women? So to your point, when we when we associate masculinity with having a big truck or hunting, or whatever, that's awesome. But let's say let's say I am totally jacked. Let's say I'm, I'm I'm I don't know. I'm trying to think of somebody. Chris, what's his name? The Hemsworth or whatever. Oh yeah yeah like, yeah yeah yeah. Okay, so we guys think okay, being jacked on that level is obviously highly attractive to women. It is sort of at first for some women. But let's say you work out all the time and you're you're ripped like that. If you actually don't make your wife feel secure, you'll actually resent your muscles. You'll actually find them unattractive. Mm -hmm. Conversely, if you're somebody who is a defender of the vulnerable and you're somebody who makes people feel secure because you're around, because you're willing to act, because you're willing to stand up like you did for the kid in seventh grade when you're willing to do that kind of stuff. You don't have to be ripped. You can have an imperfect body. You don't have to be six four. You don't none of this. And women will find you attractive. Your wife will find you attractive. You make her feel more secure. And I I, I give this example in the book, and I say, I'm not telling you this so that you can go, well, here's how I'm attracted to be attracted to women. I'm telling you this because women intuitively understand what we're supposed to be. Yeah. Oh yeah. They, they know. They know deep down what we're supposed to be. So when we say man up, when we say we need to be men, like I, I go back to the job that was given to Adam in the garden, specifically to Adam. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be the keeper of the garden. That's his role. 
And there's a lot to that. It's not just defending the space, but that is part of it. I mean, he's the guard. He's the security guard. But he's also supposed to cultivate, help these things that are in a garden that normally wouldn't be able to survive in the wild. But because you're doing a good job as a keeper of the garden, these things can bloom and flourish. Like, those are the vulnerable people in my life. I am here to make sure that people get to flourish and bloom. So... That, to me, is the essence of masculinity. And when you inhabit that, it just so happens that your wife will find you extremely attractive when you are when you have that sort of character. They respond to it. Yeah, I'm convinced. Like, once you get beyond the teen years and early, you know, 20s, women, I don't think, care about what a man looks like. They care about how a right. man acts. And I thought it was really cool in your book because you took – you said men are the keeper of the garden. You go back and forth through that, back and forth through the book – and that Hebrew word is the word shamar, and in your book you said that word means to guard, to protect, and to watch over. And that's what men mm -hmm. do. And I, I love what you wrote on page 18. You said, we are at our best when we champion the weak and vulnerable. We are at our mm -hmm. best when we use whatever strength we have to safeguard the innocent and provide a place for people to thrive. And man, I just applaud that. I think that was beautifully put. Thanks. I, I, this is it, right? Like, like if I'm a threat to my wife, that's I'm a, that's betraying masculinity. Yes, that's absolutely. What, so, so we call the thing is we call that toxic masculinity, and we should. I mean, if you're a, if you're a domineering threat to the vulnerable or, or people around you, your wife or or your sister or your mom, like if you're a threat, that is toxic. But another thing I unpack though that. Um, our, our mutual friend uh, Paul Friesen talks about a lot. Like they, he's a counselor with his wife. Yeah, but they run into another kind of toxic, which is toxic passivity. Yes. So a lot of guys, a lot of guys check out, which still breeds insecurity, just from another angle, where your wife or the people in your household don't know if you'll actually step up to do what needs done. So that can send a wife into insecurity, thinking that she's got to exert all this energy to do everything because you're not showing up because you've checked out for a lot of us. Look, I love video games for a lot of guys though. If they're, if you're sitting there playing five hours a day of video games, your wife may be um, insecure because of your passivity. So that's another kind of toxic. In either case, you're, you're not breeding security. If you breed security of people around you, you're nailing it. Like that's, People should feel more secure because you're around. That's yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, I think toxic masculinity actually is an oxymoron by definition, but it's toxic maleness uh, and, and, yeah. it's, and it's this toxic passivity. In, in fact, in your book on page 39, you said this, a passive man, I think this is so powerful, becomes useless to those around him. What's more, you continue, this may seem counterintuitive, a passive man is a threat to the women mm -hmm. in his life. So our woman, woman, sorry, to the woman. Well, women, because if he has daughters, uh, daughters-in-law. So I just think that's very powerful. It, and, the, and you talk about in your book, uh, the body of your book is six decisions that a man needs to make that will make him the kind of man this world needs. And wh right. how did you come up with six? Did you go back between seven and eight or was it just boom, here well, they are? I was like, Jordan Peterson has 12. <laughs> I'm about if I could sell half his books, that'd be pretty cool. So I went with half. And there was no, no there's no lobster story in there, though. So <laughs> No, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so 
No, it's just stuff that jumped out at me that I noticed over and over and over and over and over. Like that we have, if like if we made these decisions and, and, and put them to use in our lives, that we would be radically different mm-hmm. than the normal mm-hmm. guy. But it's beautiful stuff. But again, it's stuff that's accessible for any guy. You don't have to be an athlete or not. You can be, but it's like this is anybody in any station of life can can do these things. That's what I wanted. Well, you know, it's it's really fun. When I read books, I like to do two things. Well, three things. I like to enjoy the book. I like to look for typos. And I look like to look for words <laughs> I've never heard before, right? And so in your book, I don't remember finding any typos, so I applaud that. But I found a couple words I'd nice. never heard of before. So can okay. you explain this word? Hikikamori? Hikikamori, yeah. Hikikamori, there it is. Is that some Japanese sword fighter or something? It's not nearly as cool. It's the opposite of cool. It's it's guys. It's guys in Japan who are shut-ins, young guys who don't leave their apartments or don't leave their parents' homes. They just rely on their computer Mm. and mom brings them food they don't get jobs and there's a huge number of them hundreds and hundreds of thousands just in japan but it's been written about as a phenomenon but they just have their video games and their porn no real friends nobody offline they don't leave and so the hikikomori phenomenon i think is it's it's growing into western countries too but there's a lot of guys that are just that's i'm trying to encourage younger guys like look is there's anything wrong with that? Because if you ask, if you ask somebody, let's say Bob is home, young Bob, he's 23, he never leaves his house, he just plays video games, let's say, and he is having, he's happy. We'll say he's happy. Of course, he's not going to be, but let's say yeah. he is. He never leaves his house. Is that okay? And a lot of people will say, well, as long as he's not hurting anybody, as long as he's happy. But when I'm right, and I'm trying to tell guys, that's a lie. Yeah, he is hurting people. He is hurting people because we needed him to show up. Yep. We actually, you have a unique set of skills, and I sound like the like sound like Liam Neeson. You have a, a unique set of skills, like <laughs> and, t- and talents that God has forgiven has given you, and you you are put in a context. We need you to actually use that mm-hmm. to to be a keeper of the garden. There are actual real women, for instance, that would like you to grow up so that you'd be an awesome husband and father, as an idea, like. But even but there's all sorts of things we we're suffering for the lack of men being keepers of the garden. The fact that you're not showing up, you are hurting people. The idea that you, that as long as I don't hurt somebody, it's okay is a myth. That's not how we work. Like uh, so, the fact that you didn't show up, man, we needed you. I agree. Well, you know, I, I you you remind me of rem- I, you reminded me of John chapter four. The Bible records that Jesus had journeyed. He was at the well. His people, his disciples went in to find food because they were hungry. And Jesus was resting by the well because there was the heat of a day. And this Samaritan woman showed up. He asked her for a drink. So what we know just from those first eight verses of Mark is that Jesus was hungry, tired, and thirsty. But what Jesus did that was so impressive is he showed up. He showed mm-hmm. up, and eighty-five percent of it is is showing up, and so I think. Well, this kind of leads into our first decision. So you have you call men to six decisions to make them the kind of man that our world needs to transition beyond a passive male into an assertive man, and and decision one is, and I, I thought, 
I, I never would have thought of this. I've labeled it different things, but this was so powerful as I unpacked it. And I'm going to ask you to unpack it. To forsake the fake and relish the real. Mm-hmm. You want to unpack that for us? Yeah, well, this is a huge problem. Yeah. I, I, my, my goal in talking about this wasn't a guilt trip because, number one, it doesn't help. The guilt thing. People need a bigger vision for their lives to be able to say no to yeah. something. So the other thing is, I feel sorry for us. I don't want to whine about it, but like men have never been subjected to what we're subjected to before. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Agreed. This is the weirdest thing. And I, I like, I just, I wish it weren't so. And I'm talking about pornography, for instance, or, you know, the advent of sex robots and stuff like that are selling like mad. And I'd never heard of that before your book. I'd never heard of a sex robot. Really? No, I never okay, heard of well, it. Okay. Okay. I believe Gosh, you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, no, they're, they're, it's a huge thing. Um, wow. And it's taking off like crazy. And, they're even programming the robots to interact with you and ask you how your day is going and to give you encouragement about your work using wow. AI talking. So <laughs> the way sin works, I'm trying to tell guys to sin isn't a random list of words or just actions that God just doesn't like for some reason. Mm-hmm. It's stuff that it's stuff that keeps us from living a life of peace and wholeness. It's stuff that, that leaves us with death. Yeah. And with pixels on a screen or with a robot, a piece of plastic, you're just left with yourself. And nobody wants, like in the end, asking a big picture question, like, is that who you want to be? Yeah. Because it, it always looks good. It always seems like the real thing. That's, just, that's the way sin always works. It's a replacement mm-hmm. and it's a sucker punch. Because it feels like the real thing. It's got the excitement of a real thing. It's got the dopamine hit of a real thing. And then you're left by yourself. Mm-hmm. That's how this always works. The same thing with video games. And I love video games. Okay. So I, like, I'm not going off on us saying never play a video game. But I, I actually think they're so fun. That's part of the problem. Even if it's a completely clean video game. Mm-hmm. Like, like it still offers me a chance to level up to get a dopamine hit from doing simulated work, but nothing real gets accomplished in the real world. Well, when you look back at age 70 or 80, do you like, want all of your adventures to be virtual and fake? No. I mean, that's, that's what we're looking back on. I mean, it's good. We're headed for loneliness. This is all stuff that will ultimately leave you by yourself. And furthermore, those dopamine hits are cheap yep. because a real woman in a real relationship will call you out, as you know, to be a man. She will actually call you. She will argue with you. She will challenge you. She's not going to just like give you whatever you want. Yep. There will be challenges that you'll have to rise to. You'll have to. You'll have to change. You'll have to. You'll have to grow up. That's what a real human being will do. But this just is a hollow replacement that leaves you with yourself. Mm-hmm. So relishing the real is about living in that in meat space, like with real people, with getting outside not being a hikikomori type person who's a shut-in um, and having a bigger vision for life, which I try to help help them develop in the other pages, but like uh, that'll help you say no to some of this stuff and getting getting busy, for instance, like changing your schedule so that you, you can handle pornography more easily because you're just not 
your schedule doesn't allow for it. That's a big part of it. Yeah, I agree. Well, <clears throat> I love what you said in your book, and I thought it was very powerful. You said, fake is not benign. And I right. thought, was, and then you continued down the road a little bit on the next couple pages down. You said, a man whose primary heroism, and, I, and we all want to be heroes, right? Every podcast we share a hero story of a, a guy who's written into us or a wife, but a, a man whose primary heroism is virtual, and this is the tragic part that I think you're talking about, is not the man he could have been. Right. He's just not right. the man he could have been. And you're right that we have that hunger for accomplishment and work. And it's wild because if you think about video games, most of the time it's simulating work. I mean, that's what what, what we're doing. It's yeah. like we're a, like a sim, all, all sorts of games. It's like actually you're organizing things and ordering things out of chaos or accomplishing tasks or you, even building a fire and building a house if you're doing some kind of massive role-playing game. Like, well, <laughs> you're simulating work. But it, nothing's actually getting done. I think no one's benefiting from your the blessing of of your effort. So yeah. it's it's just living in that space is is death. I think ultimately for us. Well, I love what you just said. No one's blessing being blessed by the effort. So I want right. to move. I want to move into the second decision because I'm going to tell you something. This second decision led me to make a decision. I'm going to tell you a story. You're going to love this. So I'm reading your book and I'm reading this chapter. There's school shootings in the in back east, and they uh, there's a little preschool. I, my office is in a church, and there's a pre mm. a little school here with like you know it's not a preschool, but it's a you know about forty kids up to like high school. Well, I walk in, and the gal who's running the school, uh, you know, she's had some parents who were pulling their kids out and and really frustrated with uh, and concerned about the security of the school, right? Because it's a little church, sure. nobody's here. I go to my office and work. And she was sharing this with me, and I remembered your chapter, and I remembered sec decision number two, and I said, here's what we're going to do. You don't know me, but if you trust me, let me let me get some radios. Let me give you one every day. We'll have a code name that's if there's an intruder. I'll have uh, some equipment in my office, some safety equipment in my office, and let me be your security guy. And I'll have radios mm -hmm. that have enough power to wherever I'm at in the town. If you call me, I'll come back. And her eyes lit up. It's changed everything, right? And I went, these these gals that run the school went from people who didn't even know who I was to here's our cell phone, here's this, you know, let's be in contact if there's a thing that goes bad. And this was really important to me. And it was based on this decision that you had in your book. It reminded me, you know, it inspired me. And decision two is to protect the weak and vulnerable. And in your book, you wrote the people in your neighborhood, at your school, or in your workplace should be safer because you're there. Even if they don't know it, just because you're in the mix, they are better off. So can you talk to us about this decision too? Yeah, so I'm not a fighter. I'm not a, I don't know any mixed martial arts or anything <laughs> or respect it. Uh, but I am willing to get in the fray to defend the vulnerable. And I've, I've had to do that just by being aware of what's going on in our neighborhood. Absolutely. So people don't know that if like people can walk by I use the example, you know, a little girl walking out here on the sidewalk and I walk past her. Well, I don't want her to talk to me because it's inappropriate in this culture. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to say, you know, anything to her, but whether her parents know it or not, she's safer because I'm on the street. Yep. 
I'm watching. I'm watching to see how what happens. I've had to call things out before, and um, <laughs> that is something that's ironic because guys are the bane of our existence when it comes to violent crime, especially younger yeah, guys. Yeah, You're yeah. younger than 25. Guys in their athletic prime. Yep. Yep. Like. We, we should be thankful if we see you in our neighborhood. Like, good, we have some 22-year-old guys here. Like, things are good because they're the strongest, toughest, fastest, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad. We should feel more. But instead, we feel less secure because of the way that that our culture works right now. Like, but what, yeah. what should happen, what should happen, though, like, with, with good understanding what masculinity is, people should feel safer because we're here. Well, you know, it's interesting in your, again, I'm quoting your book. You said true masculinity is rooted in our unique role as keepers of our personal gardens. And when I heard the word unique, I, I hear the, I, I'm, I'm trying to read between the lines here. And I believe that God has placed us as men as protectors. And if a man does not become a protector of the garden, he becomes an enemy. And if a man is not, I should say a male is not willing to step up, this is where in our culture we've seen women step up into a role that is not generally theirs to take the mantle. Yeah, they have to do everything. Yeah. Right. If we're not if we're not fulfilling our role, if it would feel if if this idea is right, um, and I obviously think it is, but like yeah, if it too. is, then we would have mass anxiety in our culture yeah. because the people who actually are supposed to bring the security aren't doing it. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it becoming a threat, like you're saying, like now we're a threat in the garden. We're the enemy. Yeah. Like that was that was Satan in the garden. We've got we've got this shadowy figure that's allowed to be in the, in the garden because Adam didn't do anything about it. He was like, passive. So yeah, he was very passive, extremely passive. Didn't do a thing. And he's right there with Eve and lets it, lets this happen. But yeah, like. If you are if you are a threat to people, if your wife feels more insecure or pe- your neighbors feel more insecure because of what because of things you're doing or the way you're behaving, or the the concern that you wouldn't do anything, like then you are actually you're you're actually the threat in the garden. You're the one that needs to be defended against. And I told my son yeah. that when he was young, and he totally got it. That's awesome. Like, I didn't even yeah I wasn't even thinking about this book or anything at the time. He was like nine. Our, our daughter was six. And he was picking on her again. And I went into the back room where, the, where they were playing or he was causing problems. And I said, Justice, you're supposed to defend your sister. That's your role. You're supposed to defend this little girl. And you're actually causing problems? Like, you're the one that has to be defended against. Wow. And I never, I don't think we ever had a problem with him picking on her again. Because it so resonates with the male heart, as you know. Yes. To actually have this, to have an assignment to be told this is your role. Like no one's being told what their role is. Like as a guy, when it just don't do this, don't do that, don't be toxic, don't be like, well, okay, but what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to but do? But when you roll that yeah, you roll that out to a nine year old kid, a nine year old boy understands it. He's like, Okay, that's right, I'm a protector, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm just gonna start doing that. He winds up, by the way, spoiler alert, he winds up being an intel officer in the military, like doing all sorts of awesome stuff. And and your name is Justice. Live up to your name, buddy. Yeah, he totally has. I thought, man, I should have named my kids like The Rock or or something like. I had a lady in our church named her kids Boulder and Cougar. I thought, now that. I wish That's I would have thought awesome. of that. You know, I wish yeah, I would have thought yeah. about that. So, so this yeah. is so your book. This whole theme of protector is really woven 
throughout the book, this keeper of the garden uh, motifs, mm-hmm. if you will. But let's move on to decision three. You said, uh, and you talked, and I think this uh, Japanese name that started with an H, Hikikawar, Hikikam, yeah. <laughs> I can't say it. Hik- yeah. What's the word again? Hikikamori. There you go. I make an idea saying it right. I know, I man. Say it, I say it fast. I know. You're, you're, yeah. So this Hikikamori idea, yeah. this concept, it really revolves around people without meaning or purpose. And and you wrote on, on, mm-hmm. in, on page 114, you said, if you feel meaningless, it might be because you're investing time and energy into meaningless things. So decision three, and I want you to talk about this, is be ambitious about the right things. So what do you mean by that? Right. Well, you can be ambitious about dumb stuff. We know that. Yeah. Like, like, so a lot of it is timing and guys mess mess this up a lot. Okay. So we can be ambitious about things that are ultimately meaningless and then we we feel meaningless. That's like me accomplishing, finally accomplishing some level of of video game. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, then I feel kind of empty. Well, it's because I've been doing empty stuff ultimately it hasn't really been a blessing to people and add value to anybody's life but um one thing i talked about in that is to see life in phases but the guys don't get that mm. so you're ambitious thinking i am ambitious i want to rise to the top of this company and i want yeah. to start this and do that go, okay but you got little kids at home right now so if your ambition means i'm going to be gone 40 weeks a year like you're not being ambitious about the right thing correct if you got little kids at home Right now is little kid season. So you need to be ambitious about being a dad during this season. It doesn't last forever. This two will pass and you don't get those years back. Yeah. My, my kids are now out of the house. I don't, I don't, I can't get those years back. I'm very thankful though, that I, we chose like a very low income um, not so busy lifestyle, just to put it mildly, where I had tons of time with the kids. Yeah, and we made it. We made ends meet, thank the Lord. But now that they're out of the house, I can do lots of stuff and travel and make money and go places with my wife or whatever. But but to know the season that you're in is really important, and that's asking God. You need you need to ask God for wisdom so that you know what matters at this point in your life, and not not lose sight of that. So you can be ambitious, but be ambitious about things that are ultimately foolish and it's going to cause a lot of pain. Well, you know, it's interesting. So our target audience is a guy who lives in this, we call the stress bubble of life. He's raising his Mm -hmm. children. He's trying to get it done. And, you know, really everything that he's going to be known for when he dies is going to happen in that bubble, right? And so we're telling guys, listen, be very careful what you do there because your time is limited. You're in a stress bubble. Things have expanded. And so, you know, I remember, man, yeah, you're really walking on a razor's edge when you're in the bubble. And right. so if you're going to spend your time playing video games when you get home from work when your wife has been with the kids all day, or or worse yet, she also has a job, right? Uh, this yeah. is a problem. Yeah, it is. And I, I cannot tell, like if I'm talking to a younger guy who's got little kids or starting a family, like I cannot tell you strongly enough how thankful I am that I actually did make of all the wrong decisions I made. Yeah. I did make the right decision on that stuff. And I'm like, now is not the time to be buying stuff that obligates you to have to work so many hours and your wife to work. So like drive an 86 Corolla. It's okay. I know that's vintage by now, but it's like, what are you a James Bond? You need an Aston Martin. You have to have a You have to have a $70,000 truck. You don't agree. You don't, you can, you can live in a trailer. 
I've done it. Like, uh, I'm okay. Like, you don't have to take fancy <laughs> vacations. Hook the hose up to the trailer. Spray your kids with it. But as long as they know their dad, you're making the right call. Well, I like, remember. I life, remember. Yeah. Well, when our kids were growing up, I was a youth pastor, and I remember we had a blocky, the old blocky Suburbans. And we only could afford one car and I was driving an oxidized blue church van to meetings, you know, but my kids had me today. I'm a little yeah. concerned today. I'm a little concerned because I'm a hunter and I, you know, I, I have guns that were given to me or, or, or were guns that I had, I bought at a reasonable price. I'm, I'm really concerned with these guys, these dads today that are, are shooting these guns. I'm like, that's a $2,500 gun with a $3,000 scope <laughs> and you have a, you're an electrician. How do you do that? You know, it's like, come on, bro, make a smart decision here. Make a smart decision. Yeah, that's what what we're rooting for. And again, wisdom, I tell guys this, like wisdom will tell you what's important relative to something else. Yes. So you can go, this is important, but this is even more important. Like that's what wisdom will do. And if you don't have wisdom, you will cause pain. Well, so ask God for it. Yeah, I, go you ahead, know, I just sorry. preached on the word wisdom last night, and the Greek Ooh. word that Paul addresses in the pastoral epistles is sophron. It literally means to a safe mind, and the translation is to make the right decision, overriding your emotion. So at the right time, you make that right decision, and that's what you're talking about. You know, it, I, may, I, you, I it may be a that. good decision, but the timing deciding things is very difficult for a lot of guys, but I'm telling you, you have to based on wisdom and deciding means cutting things off. That's literally the root word is like scissors or incisors decide. Yeah. Like it literally means cutting things off. If you're keeping all your options open, you're, you're not making decisions. You're in trouble. You need wisdom to decide like now is not the time for the nice truck. I can have it later. Now is little kid time. Like these are, these are decisions we have to make when you just, when you tether yourself to one woman, the rest of your life, you are cutting off all the other options. This is the woman for the rest of my life. That's deciding like that's the very nature of it. That's so, well, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but you said something in this ambition section that I'm going to quote you on. And I want you to explain this. I just thought it was, you make these comments and sometimes you walk away from them. I'm like, this is so good. I want to camp here. You said, and this is, this is making the right decision in the right season or timing. I think this is what you're talking about here. You said, Hey, Hey bro. I mean, I added that part. (laughs) Hey bro, don't confuse ambition with winning. Do you remember that little statement? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how to, well, you, you you went on and you said, I'm ambitious. I must win at my career. I must win the deal. I must win the game. I want to be a winner. That's ambition, yeah. right? And then you said, I highly recommend being ambitious about losing. Yes. <laughs> um, and so that's a little more nuanced. But one thing I try to stress with guys is to be ambitious about relationships. Yeah. But you can't, but there's no scoreboard for that. And there's no money for that per se. There's no, like, so you, it's hard for us to quantify it, but it takes bravery to actually engage in relationships. We're not that good at it naturally per se. I'm not, Yeah. but I'm going to do it anyway. It takes a lot of bravery. Sometimes it's more ambitious, honestly. And I'm somebody who's thankfully I've really enjoyed it. It's like I have to travel the world a lot to difficult places around the world for, for what I do. 
But honestly, it takes more ambition for me to walk across the street and have a relationship with my neighbors than it does to walk go on the other side of the world. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. That's powerful. Well, it's hard, but but okay. So I'm like, yes, this is hard. Be brave about this and be okay if things don't work out. Like we need, we don't need any more needy guys. That is, we true. need guys that can actually actually care about other people, and that, that can mean, you know, that didn't work out. I take my lumps. I tried. I talked to him. It was kind of awkward. Okay, that's life, but I'm not going to stop. So you can be ambitious about faithfulness and loyalty and showing up and interacting with God, whether or not you feel like it or not. That's a, that's a kind of ambition that's, that's very valuable. Well, it's really interesting that you say that. <clears throat> Excuse me, hold on. I get major thunder here too. I don't know if you can hear no, that or not. No, can't hear that. So, yeah, south. Okay, good. So it's interesting you talk about that because – you know, I, I'm up every morning, read my Bible. When I mean every morning, I mean probably six days a week. I mean, I'm pretty, I'm very, very consistent. And I read mostly nonfiction, but it's really interesting because when I jump into a fiction book, my wife's demeanor completely changes from fiction to nonfiction because she sees the fiction and she goes, okay, so could you be doing something that's actually beneficial? Whoa. Does that make sense? She'll see that and her demeanor for me will change. And she may not say a word, but I can tell she's a little bit, you know, like, oh, well, that doesn't look like a podcast book, or that's not your Bible. That's that that huh. that's that that you know Navy Seal book you're reading, where he's a you know that that fiction book. <laughs> but it's interesting, interesting how our wives notice that. Yeah, it, I, our wives are big fans of us reaching our potential. Yes, because she married she married us with that in mind like they have a vision for us and it, it's a good one it really is that said as former president of the library club <laughs> i would take i would take issue with the idea that fiction isn't productive because i think it is but that's that's a totally different discussion well, we so, should do that well, we did a total show on that well you know what's really funny is because i have re i read almost like last year i read 50 books and i think 48 of them were nonfiction, and i determined that this year i had to read fiction more fiction. So I'm reading about 15% fiction because one, I love to read. It gives me a love for reading. Two, I can read those really fast because they're easy to read. And three, it's a way to calm my mind and to shut it down. And so yeah, I have yeah. personally found this is really helpful to me. And so we're having the dialogue. And so she's coming, she's realizing, oh, you need to do this because all you now she says to me, well, all you ever read is nonfiction. You need to read other things. So <laughs> she's get she, but she had to be educated, right? So I agree yeah. with you 100%, man. I'm a, I just read the yeah. Lord of the Rings trilogy for the third time, a second time, man. Are you Thank kidding you. me? Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. Like you, can, you can't get that in a didactic book. No. You're going to miss out on that. Fellowship and the and the the idea like all those ideas and the imagination like we need that. Listen, if you don't think Tolkien's Lord of the Rings is didactic, you and I are going to have to have a wrestling match. <laughs> I don't think it's didactic. I don't think he's coming. Out. He he would say it wasn't. No, I know. I'm just teasing, I'm, but I mean, there's so okay, much in right. there behind that. There's so much in there. Oh no, I know, but he he would he would resist the idea. He, he actually, I'm a nerd about Tolkien and Lewis, but he actually faulted Lewis for being too didactic and like his his uh symbolism and stuff like that that's a that's a long well i that's what i loved about story. that's what i loved about your writing <laughs> you you mentioned lord of the rings i'm like man i love that that's my top 10 books of, awesome top 10 books of all time now realize lord of the rings you know is only one book so top 10 top 10 that is the fantasy awesome. book of all fantasy books anyway but let's not yeah. nerd out there let's let's move on <clears throat> i want you to tell me about bridger 
the story yeah. you shared in chapter four as you moved into that decision. Can you tell us? Because you said earlier in the podcast that you can be nine year old justice, you can be a fifty year old yeah. man. It doesn't talk. You yeah. know, being a hero in your story, being a protector, can be at any age. So tell us about Bridger. That what an inspiring yeah. story. Yeah, he gave us a master class in masculinity. He's six years old. But what's fascinating about that, too, is the way it resonated in our culture, because this went really big time viral, what happened. So he's with his little sister. She's three. And I think they lived in Montana. And they were at a neighbor's house, and his dog got loose, and it was rabbit or something. And it went to attack this little three-year-old girl, and Bridger got in the way. And he told his dad later, he's like, I felt if somebody should die, it should be me. Whoa. Like, not my, not my sister. He actually said that at six years old. Wow. Well, he, he wound up with 90 stitches in his face. 90. His I, I, Photos of it, I show people, like, it's brutal. This little tiny boy. But as a result, this like, his dad put it on Instagram. You know, my son did this. We were so scared and frightened but proud of him. And they had clearly talked to him about what it means to be a man and they're believers by the way which that was really interesting um wow. but it went so viral that robert downey jr and uh, the captain america guy i forget his name chris evans like sent him a captain america shield and did a live zoom with him to talk to him and tell him how awesome he was and all it's like it was millions of people saw this story I'm like why does this resonate so much because that's what, like, people recognize it, even if they don't, they, even if they act like they don't understand what masculinity is, or it's not, they don't, can't even possibly understand it, like, yeah, you do, yeah, you do, and even if, it, like, it resonates with people, because there's something so deeply right about it, yeah. and, and heroic, and, like, laudable, and I just found that so interesting that, that uh, people reacted that way to it, because people, people recognize it when they see it. And they're they're in awe of it. Yeah. So, which comes to decision number four, which <clears throat> again, there's there's a there's a theme that goes throughout this book, but decision four is make women and children feel safe, not threatened. Can you unpack that? Yeah. Well, one thing, and that it's very similar to what I talked about about the vulnerability thing, but we aren't always aware of how we make people feel unsafe. Exactly. So women and children in particular are because just the way things are, like, are vulnerable and are aware of things that maybe we're not. There was a line from another book, which I properly credited in my book, that this guy had said, he patted himself on the back. So he's like, you know what? If somebody ever intruded into my house and broke in and threatened my wife, I would, you know, take him out. I'd do whatever it took to take out that guy, anybody who's a threat to my wife. But he said, you know what? I pat myself from the back for that, but that doesn't happen very often. What happens more often is I'm the intruder. Oh, yes. With my words or my lack of words or my lack of compassion for my wife, my sarcasm, little subtle put downs, like she doesn't feel secure because it, so I can, I can pat myself on the back for saying, yeah, I would, I would do whatever to protect my wife and kids. Yeah. But are you, the, are you the threat? And it's, it can be subtle. So just becoming aware of that, like my job here is for this woman to flourish. Yep. 
I am her, I am her biggest fan. Uh, and talking about my wife, I, I know she's brilliant. I want her to succeed in what she does. I want her to become everything I can believe her to be. Mm-hmm. And same thing with my kids. That's our job. So that's, that's the thing about the cultivating part of being a keeper of the garden. Like these are vulnerable shoots and plants and flowers, and we want them to bloom. So my garden is any sphere of influence I have. And I try to use whatever I can to make sure that the vulnerable will get to get to bloom. And then I'm not a threat to them. So I think that I think that's big for guys to realize. Well, you want the people around you to bloom. You want them to feel safe. You don't want to be a threat. Now, in this section, I, I honestly, you you had a section in there, and I just said yes. I want to go to <laughs> South Florida and have coffee with this guy. I love this guy <laughs> because you jump into an area that I've been preaching against for years, and you said, okay. By the way, guys, in making your wife, your bride feel safe, or making the people in your life feel safe. Stop living with your girlfriend, you know, basically. Oh, totally. Let me let me tell you what you wrote. Let me quote you here. You said, a woman is not a product to be consumed. If you're going to use the word love, if you tell a man that you love, if you tell if you tell a woman that you love her, remember this. At the very heart of love, real love is security. It means I choose you. I will not stop choosing you. It means I will not abandon you. It means no matter what, this kiss will always work. And you tell a story in there that I won't get into, but can you can you just jump on the Jim Ramos bandwagon here? And, and let's talk to totally. these guys that are living with their girlfriends, Christian guys, at the same yeah. rate as non-Christian guys. What's going on here, okay. man? Yeah, what you're doing isn't fair. And I, 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 again, not a guilt trip. But like I had a conversation with a guy, I mentioned this in the book, like uh, when I'm doing radio, I had a guy call and he's like, I'm living with this, my girlfriend, yeah, got I remember. a two-year-old son. Yeah, and I'm like, you got a two-year-old son, you live with the girlfriend. Why are you married? Exactly. And it, he's like, well, it's expensive. We're going to, I'm like, well, what? Why would you not take a vow? Like, are you are you thinking I really don't want this person the rest of my life? That's really what's going on. But you're using her body anyway. He's like, no, 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 no. Uh, I do want to. I I am committed to her. We are going to get married eventually. Like, why not do it now? Because your body is acting out and writing checks that your soul is not cashing. That is powerful. So you yeah, your body. Well, that's. I think I stole that from Tim Keller, but it's like that. Like it's true. You're acting out with your body one way. But your soul, you're not going to take a vow to this person. You're becoming one flesh. I'm mm-hmm. becoming one, but not all the way. I'm holding back on my soul. Well, that's called disintegrity. Like you're disintegrating. Yep. You will disintegrate because there's no there's no integration between your body and soul. You're acting one way, but it's a lie. You're actually lying with your body. And look, there's probably one woman out there that this doesn't apply to, but the vast majority of women want a man who was willing to say you and only you the rest of my life. Yes. I will defend you. I will support you. I will never be a threat to you. I will never go with anyone else like you. And I will take a vow in front of other people to say till death. There's something so deeply romantic about that. Any woman that's like, no, I don't want a guy to do that for me. Like that's, I doubt it. I doubt it. And I, I really think it's not more expensive to get married by the way. Agreed. Like you're living in the same house. Like, what, what's the bit? What's the extra expense? Like, now that you're married, like, what? How about take a vow in front of people, and uh, 
live out this deeply romantic existence where you have some poetry in life and then you get to look back on your grandkids later on and you get totally different kind of freedom down the line because you gave up some freedom now for a great poetic reason. It showed that woman that your your soul is behind what your body's doing. Well, I mean, and I've talked to so many people that are in this situation, Christians, and they're usually in it for two reasons. One is to test the relationship to see if it works, which when it comes to marriage, you're in trouble because you're already not committed. And number two <laughs> is it's out of convenience. And I, and I hate to tell you, but a marriage is never a convenient thing. It never will be. Right. And so and right. this, the, the divorce rates arguably are higher among people who cohabitate. So I don't understand the logic behind Oh, they this. are. I don't understand the logic. That's, that's a, no, that, well, again, I think we'd like to keep our options open. We're free agents. We're consumers. That's how you operate. That's just not how you have poetry in life. I love, I love how you put that. And I find that in a cohabitating relationship, the women always lose. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So ultimately, and I, so again, have the have the guts to be have the guts to put your body and soul on the same page. Like make that commitment. Your body's acting it out. That's not fair. Well, it's funny that you say that because I have you quoted here on page 160. If you're living with a woman without marrying her, you're acting out this mystical one flesh out of Genesis with your body, but not your soul. Right. So I think we've beat up on these guys enough, so we'll move on. (laughs) I just had to take a little sidebar because I'm just so appalled that Christian guys that believe the Bible, uh, they make it. Here's the other thing I'll say. When you take her to church with you, you're parading her around like a prostitute because everybody in the church knows you're living together outside of marriage. You're not honoring or protecting the woman that God has called you to honor and protect. <laughs> well, and think about what love actually is. And this is this is important. I know the foreigner wanted to know what love is. I remember that. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. But um, like we say, oh, I love her. What are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. I love pizza. Well, I want to destroy pizza is what I want to do. I actually want to rip it apart with my teeth and just enjoy it and destroy it. I'm not I'm not out for the best for that pizza. I'm not thinking, <laughs> how can I honor this pizza with my action? Like, so we use the word love. Yep. And it just means I enjoy the feeling she gives me. I She excites me or something. But it's like, you're, love means you want the best for the other person. How in the world would this be the best for the other person? Agreed. That she gets a guy who's willing to give her him, her his body, but not his, his soul. He will hold back his soul. How's that best for her? So it's not a guilt trip, but it is It is a reframing. And I hope guys can take that and go, oh, that's right. I need to change. Okay, that's called repentance. That's cool. You rethink, turn around, do the right thing. That's, that's awesome. Much respect. Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, it, it's just refreshing to, to dive into this with you. So let's move into yeah. decision number five. We'll let the cohabitating guys off the hook for about five minutes here. You said this uh, leading up to decision number five. You said attention is everything. Who we become yeah. is within our control. It's not a mystery. Yeah. It's predictable. How who we become is a direct result of what we pay attention to. I thought this was a cool take on things. Decision five is to choose today who you will become tomorrow. Do you want to embellish? Yep. Yeah, we're all becoming something. And you can't stop it. You're going to become something, and it's based on what you're paying attention to. So I use the example of old people, like an 80-year-old guy, for instance. Some 80-year-old guys are the best. Like they, They're like saints. They 
listen. They can give you wisdom. Yep. They care about other people. They're not needy anymore. They're like about other people, how to be a blessing to people, how to add value. Then there's other 80-year-old guys who can see the anger on their face and yep. they hit you with their shopping carts at Walmart or whatever. It's like it's like you have this trajectory and you're going one way or the other and you're becoming more of that. Mm. C.S. Lewis talked a lot about that. He's like, eventually you just beca- you start just a little grumble when you're 25 and you don't arrest that problem, that attitude problem. And eventually you are that bitter person. That's all you are is a grumble as you get older. So the, the trajectory is determined by what you pay attention to. Well, and I That's love it. I love your take on the word pay the t- pay attention. I love your word on the your take on the word pay. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean it's great. Pay attention is exactly right. You're paying to attend something with your mind. You're wow. buying a ticket to something, and it's either going to be something that makes you a more mature person who is more at peace, or somebody who's more angry, more anxious, more self absorbed, like. We know how this works mm-hmm. and we're shaping by what we pay attention to. We're shaping who we're becoming. If you're just going to, if you're just going to watch news all the time and get yourself riled up for your, for your team, um, you're going to be an angry person because that's, you've been paying attention and maybe it's all true. Maybe it's all like very important stuff, but if that's what you're paying attention to, that's who you're going to be. So oh, I I could not agree wisely. I could not agree more with the <laughs> exactly. news. I don't watch the news because it just makes me angry. But yeah, I, I you mean, know it just it's, it's like what's the point? <laughs> so, well, it can, it can be to- it can be totally true, like valid stuff, yeah. or but it's still like if I'm not paying attention to to good stuff, like the the Bible's really consistent on this too. Like yeah, put your mind put your mind on whatever is true, noble, right pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy. Put your mind on these things. And if you do that, if you keep bringing your mind back to what you're grateful for, you will have peace. Mm-hmm. You'll have peace that guards your heart. But people don't have peace in our culture. They're angry and they're anxious mm-hmm. and mentally ill as a result. Like, seriously, profoundly ill because they don't put their minds on what's true and right and good. so to be thankful to god and keep bringing your mind to pay attention to him mm-hmm. is going to affect who you become and, and one way or the other it's, it's in that way it's going to be a beautiful thing where you you wind up being a blessing to people yeah well you know i remember years ago i i heard john maxwell speak and said you're gonna pay you can pay now or you can pay later but boy you're gonna pay so, hey, pay attention now, man, because you're going to be paying attention at some point. So, uh, hey, that leads me to the uh, sixth point here, the sixth decision that we need to make. And you kind of are hitting us with a crescendo here. You know, uh, this is the decision of all decisions, I think. And it is, uh, and I, I have a real simple theology. Uh, and I believe that if a man just surrenders his life to the God who made him and the God who knows him more than any other and the God who loves him more than any other, that man can be unleashed to become the man that God has called him to be, but he's got to ruthlessly trust. So for you, decision six to me was like, yes. And you just said mm-hmm. very simply, take responsibility for your own spiritual life. Yeah. Okay. So, and I do this, um, I have good news. This is not, again, it's not a guilt trip. Yeah. Cause it sounds like, Hey, you need to start doing this and that. Okay. We associate in this culture, spirituality with emotion. Hmm. Because we associate everything with emotion. Our emotions determine reality in this culture. Like, 
But that, that's a problem in churches, too, because what happens is a lot of guys, and some women, too, if you're more analytical and you're not particularly emotional, and you don't have goosebump experiences at church, and everybody else is, you feel like, people start to think, what's the matter with me? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not feeling this. You hear other people go, I can feel God in this place. I feel his presence, or God told me this. And I'm like, I don't, what's, something's missing. Either God's abandoned me because I'm too gross or I'm just not spiritual enough. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling guys, I have good news. Spirituality is not emotion. Agreed. Your feelings do not determine God's closeness to you. Your feelings do not determine whether God loves you or not. Your feelings do not determine whether he's pleased with you. You know what God's looking for? He's looking for loyalty. Mm-hmm. And see, as somebody who's not particularly emotional myself, and I've also been raised with a lot of Christian hypocrisy, to put it mildly, like it would it would scare you to hear the stuff I went through growing up. But like I'm always questioning things, I'm like what what does that mean? What I don't always feel God around. Yeah. But that doesn't change reality. So what God wants us to do is to keep showing up and interacting with him and partnering with him. So when I pray in the morning, I'm walking the dog and I'm asking God, please help me with what I need for today. Give me the resources I need, my daily bread. Give me the energy and creativity I need for my job, just writing or doing radio or whatever. Whatever your job is, you need social energy for people, energy for your family. Ask God for that to get through today mm -hmm. and partner with him. And whether you feel it or not, even if you feel guilty because you got caught up in something, show up again the next day. Don't let your shame chase you away. Continue to partner with him. Your feelings can take a back burner. But you, like, guys know duty and loyalty. We get that. Yep. But it's the emotion thing that can throw us off. So when I'm saying take responsibility, your spiritual life's going to look different. If you're married, your wife might have a totally different take. She might think you're not spiritual because you're not as excited about something or not as demonstrative. She's, she's wrong. If she's just basing it on that, because what God's looking for is loyalty. And you may have a deep abiding loyalty where you keep partnering with God. And now you're, you're in the sweet spot. You ask him to make a way for you. You, you know, he's your shepherd. You lack nothing. You're going to walk through the darkest valley and fear nothing because he's guiding you with his rod and stuff. Like you got this relationship with him. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for partners. And we can do that. It's not about emotion. Emotions come and go, but they lie to us too. Yep. So if you ever if you ever feel down, last thought on this, I'm sorry. To, if you ever feel down, like, well, I don't, I feel depressed. Okay. David in Psalms is talking to himself, going, "Why are you so downcast, my soul? Put your trust in God." Yep. So I struggle. I struggle with depression. I struggle with thinking I'm a failure. This is my life story, right? Yeah. But I can recognize it's not true. I can speak to it. I can say, "God, I'm showing up anyway," and that's what He's looking for. So, I'll tell you what yeah. I, I love. So, so let me tell you. So I'm a highly emotive guy. So I'm an emotion. I'm Italian. Come on. You know, I'm, so I'm an emotional That's cool. guy. That's awesome. Yes. I'm, I'm emotional. I'm uh, I'm a feeler. I'm a feeling guy. But what I've had to do is train my mind through reading and, and stuff that, that it's about fact over feelings. And so I'm a, I'm a massive, massive proponent of reading the Bible and mm. doing what it says so you use the word loyalty. I love the word obedience. Listen, obedience, it's not sure, about your right. feelings. 
It's not about God, you know, giving you the, you know, sprinkling the fairy dust on you. It is about you walking in obedience with God and pleasing him with your life. And yes, I feel God. And yes, God speaks to me. But even if he didn't, it would not change a thing. And I, it's no, so refreshing it, to hear that. Right. Yeah, I think he does speak to me, but just in different ways through other people. Yes. Through, through the Bible, you know, through there's there's ways. But I just I don't have these experiences like some people have. It's all good. I respect yeah. the people who have them. Yeah. It's great. But he is looking for partners. His eyes are scanning the earth, looking. It says in Jeremiah, like, but he partners with Abraham. He's looking for, he's looking for people to build his kingdom. Like, and that's what he, what we're supposed to do with our gardens. That's our kingdom. Like, take that, put it yeah. under his control, and make, bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, where, we, where we the, tell guys that they can change. Safe. You yeah. know, we tell God guys that they can change their world. Which is the same as saying yeah. you can, you are called to maintain your garden. That is your yes. world. That is your garden. You know, it's funny. You know that yeah, God speaks to us in so many different ways. Like, just I'm thinking about your book. When I went downstairs and said I will make sure that this school has security, God spoke to me through your book. I didn't get a hoochie coochie. I didn't have warm fuzzies. <laughs> I didn't weep uncontrollably. <laughs> right. I didn't have gold right. dust come out of the sky. I just was like, this is this is legit. I love this reminder. And when an opportunity showed up, I thought, man, the timing is 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 a God thing. So let's just walk into it. Yes. It's it's really simple. Yeah, just do it. Yeah. Just do it. No, it's really and yeah. I, I love this, man. I, I love I I love that part of your book. You know, you just said in your book, to my great relief, I've realized over time that God really wants one thing from us. Loyalty. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you what, Brad, I I read a lot of books. And, uh, and I do a lot of, you know, as you, you know, to get ready for these shows. And this is really, <laughs> I laughed in this book a lot. I really enjoyed your writing. <laughs> uh, your parenthetical statements are, I guess I would just say epic. Uh, and then you have this self-deprecating <laughs> humor that uh, is really, really funny. I, I do think that that flute could be a pretty dangerous weapon. The accordion, not so much. <laughs> Dude, you don't, do not underrate. The pectoral development you can get from accordion playing, though. Like, oh, I can tell, man, right squeeze, now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The squeezing is just, yeah. So I've thought about the harmonica. It. You know, I can't play the guitar. I won't ever try that again. But I thought the harmonica could be pretty cool, man, on a fireplace or on a hunting trip. So I don't know, man. If you've yeah, got, if you think I've got potential, in, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I believe in you, man. Oh, man. I appreciate it. Well, hey, man. I have a son who just moved for the next year down to, uh, Big Pine, uh, one of the Florida Keys. So if I'm in your neck of the woods, I'll, I'll oh, definitely awesome. look you up. Yeah, he's Dude, down there. Yeah, he's in a marine biology camp. And uh, so I'm like, well, maybe he's close to, you know, maybe we fly into an airport. What's the closest airport? Well, Palm Beach here. Okay. Um, but then there's Fort Lauderdale and Miami. So I'm on the, I'm like probably four hours from that, that island. But that's, I mean, the Keys, it's like six hours from here to Key West. Okay. Five drive. But, the keys is that's a long stretch. Yeah, he's so. twenty or forty minutes from Key West, so he's down there pretty far, I guess. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's cool, we're man. Like, we're, yeah, we're two hours from Key Largo. So, man, I, I've got to go down there and play the song, right? Yes, I got the guitar. You can break oh, out. Oh man, har- I got harmonica. Got to go get a Jimmy Buffett song and go down to Key West. I mean, I, I feel a, I feel a road trip coming on, dude. You got it. We could totally do that. Where do you live now? Where I'm in you? Oregon, about an hour south of Portland, uh, but very not, very much I not Portland. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, man, cool. hey, it was great having you on the show. I, I highly recommend your book. How can our guys get a hold of your book? 
Um, Amazon's great, like anything like that. It's available all over the place. And um, yeah, I'd, I'm honored. People want to read it together, study, talk about it. I think it's it's uh, worth talking about. Well, and what I didn't tell the guys, and this is probably really will probably what will push them over the top to get the book, is that you have these six sections plus your introduction, but you have multiple chapters. I don't think you have a chapter in there over three or four pages long. They're short Dude. man chapters, baby. Yes. Okay, so I'm writing a uh, publisher wanted me to write a young men we need, like for younger guys. So I've been doing that. I've shortened the chapters so much, it's unbelievable. Like, but it's made it tight. Like, I like it. It's uh, I'm like any teenage guy. I'm just like, oh, but it makes it really like snappy. I got a book that so. we're getting ready to sign a book a deal this week probably, but it's really funny. The book was ninety thousand words, and they're like, that Whoa. won't work. You got to cut it down. So then it's sixty five thousand. Now it's fifty five thousand. I'll tell you, the book writing today is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like these short books because the the guys right. the guys raising families now they're like I don't have time to read a ninety thousand word book. So That's I just hard though if you wrote all those words that you have to get rid of. Like, it was well, like, like cutting this. off an arm, bro. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> so, this I need this. Oh yeah, but it's okay, man. So hey, so just to just to clarify, just to confirm, guys, just to uh, go back and review here. So decisions you need to make in your life. Number one, forsake the fake and relish the real. Protect the weak and vulnerable. Number three, be ambitious about the right things. Number four, make women and children feel safe and not threatened. Number five, choose today who you'll be tomorrow. Number six, take responsibility for your spiritual life. Brant, man, I, I knew this would be a great interview. I'm super excited. I just hope we play. Thanks. I hope we push record on this thing. Uh, it's. Uh, I'm excited <laughs> to have thousands and thousands of men. Uh, and we, you know, we just found out the other day. Although we focus on men. 50% of our, our following are women. So they're trying to That's figure awesome. out they're trying to figure out Good. their man. So man, I appreciate you and what you're yeah. doing. I'm so glad we got connected. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks for what you're doing too. You too, man. It's have, an honor. have a great day, man. God bless you. Bye-bye. Men, if this podcast today has helped you, please consider partnering with us with a monthly or a one-time donation. You can do that at meninarena.org slash donate. Every dollar helps. God bless you. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be the kind of man this world needs. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.